One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. In today's episode, we continue our rewatch of The Leftovers with episode six of the final season, Certified. My name is Justin Hamilton, but you can call me Officer Koala Fart here on Big Squid. you for joining me. I cannot wait to talk to you about this episode. I just love it so much and even found myself a little teary on the weekend. That's impressive for an episode that I have seen quite a few times now and it still seems to have that effect on me. One of my favourites in all of the series and uh, actually this whole season. It just feels like it's one win after another. Ah. I hope you're enjoying this and potentially loving this as much as I am. Uh, A quick reminder, if you didn't hear the earlier podcast this week with Alex J, this season of Big Squid is coming to an end very soon. Uh, To keep you in the loop, we have two more episodes about The Leftovers to go after this one. Uh, We also have jazz musician Nick Hempton on the show next week, giving us a taste of his new album. And then... We will finish with Ben Elwood returning to finish off our Sophia Coppola series with possibly my favourite podcast in all of the ones we've recorded about her movies. Maybe it, uh, you know what, it's one of those things where I don't want to talk about it too much and I don't want to talk it up too much. I don't want to ruin it, but it is making me laugh just thinking about it. So... What we'll do is uh, we'll produce those, we'll bring them out, and then I'll be taking a little break. That is mainly to recharge batteries and also just get some breathing space to uh, put into plans some uh, ideas that we wanted to do months ago, but lockdown and COVID and everything that's been going on this year has thrown that 
out of whack. And look, to be quite honest, I'm exhausted. Uh, I love making this podcast, but, you know, it's a lot. And uh, I'm needing a bit of time to sit on the lounge and daydream, you know, Just let the brain allow my thoughts to drift and see what comes next, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, the break won't be long, like I'm making it sound like it'll be a few months. It won't be that at all, it'll be a couple of weeks at best. But just a heads up that that break is coming soon. If you'd like to stay across news for the podcast, please join our Facebook page or follow me on Twitter at JustinHamilton underscore or on Instagram at JustinHamiltonComedian. Right, enough of that. It's time to talk about Laurie and the wonderful, wonderful Amy Brenneman in the episode of The Leftovers entitled Certified. Everybody wants something. That's why we're here. Where's Kevin? Is he here? We asked him to die again. Well, it's a lot to put on someone. You don't believe in this. I can't. You said he got the idea from Revelations. Tell me we were crazy. Tell me we were going too far. And we can go home right now and forget all this. Whatever is happening here, I want to be a part of it. We open on a familiar face. She talks about how her and her partner tried IVF for a while, but it failed. She eventually gave up the hope of having a baby. Five years passed, and then it just happened. She was pregnant, and she named her son Sam. Six months later, she walked out of a laundromat. She was stressed. She was on the phone, and she strapped Sam into his seat in the back of the car while he was crying. And then, once she got into the driver's seat and turned around, he was gone. This is the young mother we saw in the very first scene of the series, the moment we first experienced the sudden departure. The woman she is talking to is Laurie. The woman talks about how her son could come back, they could all come back, and if they did so, it would be on the same spot, right? At this point in her life, it has been two years since that fateful day, and she has kept returning to the parking lot in case her son returned. Laurie is lost in thought while this lady talks, and when the woman asks a question, Laurie doesn't respond. The woman is angry. The guilty remnant are outside waiting for her. She can't believe her therapist is sitting there silently. Laurie's eyes are overwhelmed with sadness. She is incapable of speaking. The young woman just wants to know what to do. And then Laurie finally speaks. I don't know. Alone, Laurie goes through her cabinet, finds a bunch of pills and swallows all of them. She writes a letter which finishes with goodbye. She puts it in an envelope, sticks it to the front of her door, and closes it. Seconds later, the door reopens. She grabs the letter and returns inside. Laurie stands in her office, unsure. She removes her shoes and lays down, the letter pressed to her chest. She begins to go to sleep. And then her eyes open. She's wide awake and in action. She goes through another cupboard and removes a first aid kit. She pulls out a bottle of hyperjack syrup and drinks it. Laurie immediately vomits the pills out of her system. She washes her face with water. She is distraught. Then calmly, she removes her dress, her wedding ring. She goes to the cupboard and finds her white clothes. She dresses in all white, her eyes blank, and walks outside to the members of the guilty remnant who stand vigil over her office. Tell me what to do, she says. 
Now Laurie drives a VW van in Australia. She's alone, a bruise under her eye, driving to where Kevin is at Grace's farm. When she arrives, though, it isn't Kevin Jr. she finds, but his father instead. They greet each other with genuine affection. He's holding a bag of shoes. Kevin Sr. wants to know if Matt is coming, but he isn't. He has, though, sent the charred remains of the book his son set on fire at the hotel. He has also passed on a message to Kevin Sr. He's sorry he didn't put you in his fucking book. Kevin barely registers this aggressive message, and he takes the book from her. Laurie wants to know where Kevin is, but he's off having a think. It turns out that everyone has asked him to die again. She tells his father that whatever is happening here, she wants to be a part of it. We cut to night time. Laurie is secretly filming people while balancing up a tree, looking into someone's home. It is the two scientists that rejected Nora. They kiss, but before Laurie can take more footage, she has to run as she's attacked by a dog. It is windy and the streets are quiet. She gets into the VW where Nora and Matt are waiting for her. She shows the video to Nora, who confirms that it is them. Now they have to wait. Back on the farm, Kevin Sr. talks about waking up at Grace's after the snake bite and realising Christopher Sunday is dead. He doesn't know how he got there, but he recounts what happened, how he woke up, how he found the pills, how he took them, and they were so strong they knocked him out. And then when he woke, it was the first time he saw Grace. Laurie points out that was when she was drowning the police officer called Kevin. Grace feels awful, but she thinks Laurie doesn't understand. Laurie does understand, though. They want to drown her ex-husband so he can travel to the place where the dead people are, and while he is there, he is going to learn a song that he can return with so Kevin Sr. can dance the dance that will save the world. John also thinks that Evie is in this place. Laurie is sceptical. She thinks it sounds crazy, but these are crazy times. Kevin Sr. only wants to make certain that Laurie isn't going to talk him out of it when his son returns. Laurie smiles. She's not even sure if he's going to come back. She knows she wouldn't. But in the end, she guesses Kevin Jr. probably will. He always does. There's a knock at the door. Laurie answers, and it is the police officer that used to work with the Australian police chief, who was also known as... Kevin Garvey. Back in the car, Laurie watches the testimonials of people who use the scientist machine and travel to the place where the departed went. Matt is in the back, asleep. Nora keeps an eye out. Laurie knows that John and Michael Murphy are at the airport with Kevin, but since the nuclear warhead detonated, all the flights are delayed. Nora says Laurie can leave too, but she wants to see if the scientists will lead them to this suicide machine. Now, Nora points out it isn't a suicide machine. Besides, if she wanted to kill herself, she'd do it scuba diving because so many natural things can just go wrong. Laurie says, yes, I get it. She's a certified diver. She's experienced. Nora points out that it doesn't matter that she's experienced. All you have to do is twist the knob the wrong way. She dies and everyone who loved her would be protected because they'd never know. They'd think it was just an accident. Matt wakes, his nose is bleeding. Nora is angry because Matt was waiting for divine intervention to save him rather than doing anything real. Laurie tries to stand up for him, but Matt agrees with Nora. He deserves her scorn. Then Nora has a dig at Laurie about her psychic powers, the trick that her and John pull on people. Nora asks Laurie to give her a reading now. What would she say if she wanted to speak to her kids? Laurie points out that she doesn't do departures. Matt suggests their parents, they're dead. 
Nora is angry. She quite clearly hasn't forgiven Laurie and the guilty remnant for making the mannequins of her family and placing them in her house. Laurie points out that they don't do departures because death is easy to talk about. People just want finality. In the end, they just want to be able to close the book on their grief. But there is no end to the grief of the departure. People don't actually want closure. On the farm, Grace and Kevin Sr. walk the police offer around the grounds. <laughs> That's Francis Greenslade as well. God, I love him. The Murphys and Laurie watch from inside. John wants to know where Nora is, but Laurie refuses to tell him. In turn, she wants to know why they weren't at the airport with Kevin. John explains they called Kevin once they realised the airport was closed, and by a miracle, he actually answered, told him where they were, and they drove out to this farm. Why didn't they tell Laurie? Because she doesn't believe in this. John is angry. He wants to know how she discovered they were here, and also, how did she get the black eye? Laurie explains that Nora hit her, but before the conversation can continue, they both look outside to see Kevin Sr. knock out the police officer with a shovel. Uh, Back in the van, Nora admits she had her IUD taken out. Laurie is confused by this. She thought she wouldn't be trying after Lily. Nora tries to smoke a cigarette, but her lighter won't work. Laurie lends hers, but without thinking, Nora puts it in her bag. Laurie asks for it back. But Nora points out that since she's given up smoking, she won't need it anymore. Nora is petulant, aggressive. Laurie asks again. Suddenly a scuffle breaks out and Nora accidentally hits Laurie in the face. But before it can escalate, the scientists get into their car and drive off. On the farm, they strap the police officer in the passenger seat. He's passed out after being hit on the noggin, and Kevin Sr. is going to drop him off somewhere far from everyone. The storm is coming. He needs to do this dance to save the world. He drives off, and Laurie sees John sitting by what remains of the church alone. She walks over, and they have a moment. John talks about the first time they had coffee, how she made him feel better, and he could have told her anything. But he did believe that Evie was still alive. Laurie wants to know why he wants Kevin to go to that place. Is it to find out why Evie killed herself? This isn't what John wants at all. I just want Kevin to tell her that she was loved, he says. He leans on the remains of the church and reveals to Laurie that it was being torn down to be made into a memorial, but Kevin Sr. saw it and instantly believed it was part of his flood narrative. John thinks he's crazy and doesn't really understand why he still believes in him, and especially his story about his son. He wonders if he in turn is crazy. Have they gone too far? John needs Laurie to tell him and then he'll leave right now. But Laurie looks at him and smiles and says that she thinks he's got to see it right through to the end. He's so close. She kisses him and they hug. Back in the van, they chase after the scientists. Nora tries to lighten the mood and talks about how the French sailor who fired off the nuclear warhead thought there was a giant egg in the Pacific Ocean and on the 14th it was going to hatch and eat everyone. The sailor got the idea from the Book of Revelation. Matt is furious. The book isn't meant to be taken literally. Nora makes fun of Matt but turns her attention to Laurie. She wants to know what Laurie would say to that sailor if he'd come to her. Don't miss... Laurie says. Before they can continue talking, Laurie's phone rings. It is Michael. He's the one who tells Laurie where everyone is on the farm and what they're up to. He doesn't stay on the phone for long, but pleads with her to come to Grace's farm. Matt asks what is going on, and Laurie points out that Kevin is at a ranch with his dad. 
Nora says that she is happy he's there with his father. Tomorrow is a big day. Everyone should be with their family. At the ranch, Grace and Laurie talk while preparing food. Grace wants to know if Kevin was a good husband, and she says yes. They only broke up because she joined a cult. Laurie tells Grace that she is sorry to hear about what happened to her children. Grace says to Laurie that when their bodies were found, their shoes were lost, and no matter how hard they searched, they could never find them. When Kevin finds her children in the other place, all Grace wants to know is, where are the shoes? Laurie looks at the photo of the family, a tub of the pills for the dog that Kevin Sr. took alongside the frame, and you can see the sadness again in Laurie's face. That night they eat dinner, but Kevin Sr. is disappointed that it isn't much of a last supper without their Jesus. Grace is tired. She decides she's going to lay down for a bit. Kevin looks around the table and talks about what roles they're going to play as apostles. He believes they all have to be somebody. He declares that Laurie can be doubting Thomas. Kevin explains what happened when he began first hearing voices. Everyone told him he was nuts and Laurie was the only person who said they were really there. And then he was locked away. But Laurie smiles and points out she isn't Thomas. In fact, she's Judas. You see, doubting is easy, but Judas, he was surrounded by people who kept banging on about how special Jesus was and he betrayed them anyway because he believed in something. Michael points out that Judas eventually killed himself, but he slurs. His eyes are barely awake. He's acting weird. Suddenly, Kevin Sr. passes out face first into his food. John tries to wake him, but then he notices that Michael is now also asleep. He looks at Laurie, his eyes drooping as he tries to comprehend what is happening. She whispers that she is sorry as John gets up to walk, but passes out. Laurie looks over at Grace's dog and says, I borrowed your pills. Back with Nora and Matt, they look down at a truck where the scientists are working. It is in a secluded place near the water. Laurie wants to know if Nora is going to call her boss and shut this down. But instead, Nora turns to Matt and asks if he remembers when they were kids, after their mum and dad died, when people would try to keep them busy. They were once taken to see a baseball game. Nora was too young to get into the game, so she watched kids playing with a beach ball. It came their way and Matt stood up punched it, and it was the first time she'd seen him look happy. Then an usher at the stadium grabbed it and let the air out. Nora is now crying as she explains everyone was happy. Why would someone do that? Laurie points out that if the ball went onto the field, it would be chaos. That's why that person does that particular job. Nora cries. She's in pain, and Laurie hugs her, holds her. They pull back, and Nora says that Laurie can have the van. It is clear what is going to happen. Nora is going to leave this world and go over there. Matt decides he's going to stay with his sister. He hands the book to Laurie and says, tell Kevin Sr. he's sorry he didn't put him in the fucking book. And also tell Kevin Jr. that he's sorry that he did. Nora asks Laurie not to tell them what she is about to do, so Laurie takes Nora's cigarettes as payment so she can invoke patient-doctor confidentiality, guaranteeing she won't tell. Same time next week, Nora says through tears. Laurie smiles, but as she walks away leaving Nora and Matt behind her, she too looks in pain. Back at the farm, Laurie sits alone and finally Kevin returns. He heard she was with Nora and asked if she helped her find what she was looking for. Laurie says, yeah, I think so. 
Kevin wonders where everyone is, and she pointed out that she drugged their food. She wanted to talk to Kevin without interruption. He wants to know if she's going to talk him out of it. No, she's come to say goodbye. He looks at the cigarette lighter. It reads, don't forget me. It is the lighter Jill gave her that fateful Christmas night. Laurie says she threw it away but went and retrieved it, but please don't tell Jill that part. Kevin admits that he accidentally killed Jill's hamster when the two of them went away together, so they're even. So long, Mr. Fuzzy, says Kevin. Laurie laughs. The hamster's name was Mr. Funny. Laurie admits that a conference she went to in Phoenix only lasted a couple of hours and then she went to an expensive spa. Kevin laughs. He admits that he hated their house. He didn't say anything because it was her money and also he wanted her to be happy. She looks at Kevin and reveals that she was pregnant. 16 weeks. Kevin asks when. Seven years ago tomorrow. She was at the doctor's looking at the ultrasound and then their baby was gone. Why didn't she tell him? Laurie says they raised two beautiful kids. It's the best thing they ever did. Did he want another baby? No. And neither did she. She didn't tell him because she didn't want to and then she didn't have to. Are you scared, she asks. Scared about being drowned? He's not. Where he went last time was so real, he felt so alive, he's not scared. If he isn't scared, she's not scared. He offers the hope that he could come back, and she hopes that he will too. Will she stay? No, she can't. She kisses Kevin. He tries to give back the lighter, but she tells him to keep it. She's quit. He asks if Nora has gone. We're all gone, says Laurie. They look at each other. Goodbye, Laurie. Goodbye, Kevin. It is the next morning and Laurie is out on a boat, just her and the owner. She's lost in thought when the owner points out there's a storm rolling in, so if she's going to go, it is best to go now. Laurie is about to go diving. Thunder rolls in the background. She straps herself up, but before she can dive in, her phone rings. She looks at the screen and sees it is Jill, so she answers it. It turns out it's not just Jill, but it is also Tommy. They're arguing over something from their childhood, but it is playful. They're having a good time. Laurie sorts it out. Her children are in a good mood, and they tell her that they love her. And Laurie replies that she loves them, too. She hangs up the phone. That storm is coming. It is now or never if she's going to dive. She straps herself up, places the equipment in its right place. She's teary, but she smiles. She takes a few deep breaths and dives in. We linger on the ocean, the storm coming, thunder in the distance, and we are left alone listening to the gentle lapping of the waves. I honestly don't know where to start with this because, once again, this is one of my favourite episodes and even though I have seen this so often, I just get really emotional every time. For me, Amy Brenneman is the unsung hero of The Leftovers. When we meet Laurie, she's with the guilty remnant and silent, but through her incredible performance, I felt like I understood Laurie, I liked Laurie, I felt pain for Laurie. She's not always likeable, she doesn't always make the right decisions, but more often than not, people who are in pain rarely get it right. But she strives for peace of mind, she tries to understand where she fits into this world, and even though she stumbles, Laurie is a good person. She deserves our love and empathy. The line in this that the episode really sums up Laurie for me is when she tells her ex-husband that 
everyone in that world is gone. There were the people who departed and there were the people who were left behind. But they weren't the same people. Even when they were left behind, they were fundamentally different in obvious and subtle ways. And those that can come to terms with that situation probably have the best chance of moving forward, of surviving. When we see her trying to connect with the young mother who lost her son, who lost Sam, it is heartbreaking to see Laurie so lost. The suicide attempt is confronting, and it is relief when she forces herself to vomit up the pills. By the time she's all dressed in white to throw herself to the guilty remnant and their belief systems, it all makes sense. We get it, and we now know how she ended up in that cult. Near-death experiences will do that to you. Laurie's time with Nora is fascinating. They're not exactly friendly, and why would Nora be totally comfortable with her after that awful morning with the mannequins? Also, her decision to join the guilty remnant is one that Nora cannot abide. On the flip side, Laurie is fascinated by Nora and also annoyed at how easily she can get under her skin. That it comes to blows early and ends in comfort should not be a surprise. Both of these women have been in pain, in their own way, dealing with their own grief. Everyone knew about Nora's children going, but nobody close to Laurie had any idea about her fetus disappearing before her eyes. In the end, when we realise that Nora is going to use the machine to either travel to wherever the departed went or to be obliterated, it is fitting that Laurie is there to witness, to offer comfort. In the end, is it Nora that convinces Laurie to kill herself? It isn't just a scuba diving theory, one that Nora tells us in such a flippant way that it makes you wonder what other ways did Nora research in her darker moments, but also that she is willing to leave or die trying. Laurie came close once before. The moment was manic, but this time it feels like she is much more at peace with the decision. In the end, all Laurie can do is walk away and let Nora and Matt have time to themselves. As for Nora, we know we still have a part of her story to finish as an older woman who doesn't recognise the name of Kevin. Or is it Nora? We don't know. We won't know. Well, you'll know soon. Laurie tells us earlier in this episode that people don't want closure about those who departed. They want to hold on to the idea that they'll return. But Nora is done waiting and instead is willing to try to make the journey herself, regardless of the consequences. Of course, there is no way that Laurie can go before she reaches out to her ex-husband. It is incredibly moving seeing these two sitting together, just talking. You can see the old ties, the connections that were always there deep down. It is a funny talk, as are a lot of moments in this episode, as they reveal unimportant secrets to one another. Dead hamsters, spa retreats, but it is revealing as well. Laurie sees the pain in John and understands finally why he is believing in Kevin Senior's story. If Evie is dead and he can tell her through Kevin that she is and will always be loved, then how can he not believe? Yet while Laurie sits with Kevin, the revelations are different. When he dies, he feels more alive than he does surrounded by his family and friends. In that world, he is a master of his actions. He has some semblance of control. He's alive. The problem is that Kevin has spent his life doing what Ever everyone else wants. He has acquiesced all moments and this is why he's been constantly sad, why he's never felt fulfilled. And even now he's willing to die because everyone needs something from him. He's willing to be that Kevin again. 
That's why it's so sad when he confesses that he hated the house. He just wanted Laurie to be happy, even at his expense. He didn't want the dog either. He probably never really wanted to be a cop. He may have loved Laurie, but did he really want to be married or did he see her and Tommy and know he could be the father that her son was never going to experience through his real dad? Maybe he never really wanted Lily. Who knows what Kevin ever really wanted because he never knew himself. By confessing about the house, he's revealing the problem at the heart of his life. Now he does want to die, but only because he goes to a place that makes him feel fully alive. Laurie too can finally let go, talk about their baby and talk honestly. She can unburden herself of this pain, not only that she lost the baby to the moment of the departure, but also the truth that neither of them wanted one. It wasn't the right time. They'd already done a good job with Jill and Tom. Losing something you never really wanted can be a terrible guilt to carry, especially when it is a baby. Yet two people who love each other deeply, and they are not the people who were in love when they married. This is something else. This is the love of two people who have experienced a lot in life, together and apart, and can still see each other and recognise that person. Their love for one another can finally survive the honesty of their situation at the time. In fact, this might be the most emotional moment we've seen with them since she fell into Kevin's arms and cried Jules' name as Mapleton burned around them. Laurie has her opinions about what is going to happen, but she understands the world is broken. The basic tenet that the guilty remnant live by is not too far removed from what she believes now. Nothing will ever be the same, and nor should it be. When does Laurie decide to kill herself? It was on that day at her office, and as we know, the awful feelings that can dog our lives are not linear, they're circular, and they will continue to come back from time to time. But does Laurie follow follow through? Does Nora's theory only remind her that she'd like to have some time to herself diving? She's lied before about going to a spa resort. Maybe she would like to hide from the world as far under the sea as possible. Maybe she'll find that sea monster the French sailor was so worried about. Or maybe she was planning to follow through and her children remind her that she has so much to live for. Or maybe that was the perfect goodbye, a fun little chat with those that she brought into the world as she prepares to leave. We don't know. We're just left to ponder what comes next, not unlike those who discovered their loved ones departed on that fateful day. I love Laurie, and in particular, Amy Brenneman's pitch-perfect performance throughout the series. As I said earlier, she is the unsung hero of this series for me. I didn't want to say anything earlier. I wanted to get to this episode before I told you that, and I think she is extraordinary. Watching this episode again filled me with emotion. I was very teary all the way through this because the depiction of grief is real. I recognize this struggle that all the characters are making, and in particular, Laurie. In times of lockdown, left to our thoughts and lack of stimulation of the real world, you can find yourself in some dark places, in treacherous cul-de-sacs that are difficult to reverse out of towards safety. I desperately didn't want Laurie to die, but when I saw her on that boat with the storm approaching, I felt nothing but anguish and sadness for this woman. This was one of my favourite episodes, and I guess it's because of the message, which I think is... Well, for me anyway, you can only hope to do your best and hope that you find solace in your actions. (laughs) 
Okay, let's get into the squid bits. Not as many for this one as normal. It's a pretty emotional episode, and uh, I think most of the uh, the heavy lifting is in that. But uh, a few interesting things. This is the second episode to end without music over the credits, the previous episode being the, Car- the Garvey's at their best in season one. Uh, Laurie attempted suicide with sleeping pills, but in the end uses pills to knock everyone else out. Three signs that Laurie is about to kill herself that you don't realise until the end credits roll, or at least suggest. When she asks Kevin if he's scared and he replies no, Laurie says, then I'm not either, which implies she too isn't afraid of dying. Kevin asks Laurie if she will stay and she tells him that she can't. This is an implication that she can't remain alive anymore. When Kevin attempts to return the lighter, she tells him he can keep it because she quit. This feels less about quitting smoking and more about quitting life. Kevin Senior tells everyone that they need to impersonate someone, which is a very meta statement on how all of these characters are behaving. Just as a heads up, this is the last time that Jill and Tom appear in the show. Damon Lindelof has said that it didn't entirely sit well with him that they were pushed to one side, considering how important they were in the first two seasons. This is probably a combination, actually, of having two less episodes in the season, and probably would have been quite contrived to somehow get both of those characters down to Australia along with everyone else. Everyone who's there, you can just, like, it's it's enough, don't you think? Uh, Grace Playford's address is 5 Pigeon Run Road. Nora tells Laurie she should spend the next day with family while standing next to Matt as Nora has decided she's going to depart. The videotape that Jill talks about uh, was a Canadian children's show called Today's Special. The French sailor was going to kill the beast that hid in a volcano, and then Nora references Godzilla, who was also born in a volcano in the 1984 movie The Return of Godzilla. A lot of Bible references in this episode. The French sailor is referencing Revelation chapter 13 with his seven-headed sea monster fears. They talk about the Last Supper. That turns up in all four of the New Testament Gospels. The story of Downing Thomas is from John 20, for 24 to 29. Uh, Judas turns up in all four Gospels, but the 30 pieces of silver and his suicide by hanging appear in Matthew. In the episode G'day Melbourne, I can't say that straight after the uh, in this episode. G'day in the episode. G'day Melbourne. Now it's just better the other way, isn't it? In the episode. G'day Melbourne. Doctor Eden told Nora she didn't use the machine to travel to the other place because everything she wants is right here, and that statement makes even more sense now that we know that doctors are also lovers. And now that Matt has come to terms with his lot in life, he and Nora are playful together, just like Tom and Jill are on the phone. And we're done. Two more episodes to go. I feel like it's been a countdown of me just letting you know and then just being a bit, wow. <laughs> I don't know if I really want it to finish. Like, I know it finishes. Oh, like, two more episodes and they're so good. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a top review over at Apple Podcasts or you know, if, if you have time or you think of someone who might like the show, recommendations go a long way. There's a lot of podcasts out there. So if you know someone you think might enjoy this, please help them find us. Uh, we'll finish off with another quote that is themed for this final season. This time it is Albert Einstein who provides us with these words. Everyone should be respected as an individual, but no one idolised. Until then.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 